A man from Galilee stands in Jerusalem surrounded by a violent crowd. They descend upon him and question him, asking who he is. They accuse him. They put him on trial. How will he respond? And while that's happening in the courtyard outside the high priest's house, a similar scene is playing out on the inside. Peter and Jesus, and the contrast is pretty clear, and as the gospel writer Matthew puts them side by side, it leads us to ask ourselves the question, when we are put on trial by the world, what will our testimony be? The words from Matthew, those who had arrested Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest where the experts in the law and the elders were assembled. Peter was following him at a distance and went as far as the courtyard of the high priest. He went inside and sat down with the guards to see how it would turn out. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false testimony against Jesus so that they could put him to death. They found none, even though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to him, Have you no answer? What is this that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I place you under oath by the living God, Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you have said. But I tell you, soon you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? See, you have just heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, He is deserving of death. Then they spit in his face and punched him. Some slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came to him and said, You were also with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it in front of everyone, saying, I don't know what you're talking about. When Peter went out to the entryway, someone else saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it with an oath and said, I do not know the man. After a little while, those who stood by came and said to Peter, Surely you are also one of them because even your accent gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. Just then the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Let's start with the man inside. The teacher from Galilee knew this was coming. It was on his mind already in the Garden of Gethsemane just a few hours earlier. He saw it drawing near, 
as he willingly went with the mob that arrested him. It was ordained from before time began that God would stand trial before the Sanhedrin in the very, very early hours of Friday morning. But it really wasn't a trial, maybe at best an illegal one. A parade of liars take their turns on the stand, but not even their testimonies can agree. The only accusation that sticks is something that Jesus said himself. A promise of his resurrection on the third day. Something that those liars don't understand. But Jesus refuses to be drawn into the foolishness. He's not going to dignify their lies with a response. And yet he will not fail to confess who he is. So when the high priest puts him under oath of the living God, Jesus stands firm and confidently and calmly says, it is as you have said. He says, I am. That's his testimony. Now the man outside, the fisherman from Galilee, he was warned this was going to happen. We heard it in the Passion reading. Jesus predicted it, and Peter just brushed off his warning. The pressure starts with the servant girl. Oh, you were, you were also with Jesus, the Galilean. And Peter says, well, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he tries to sneak away. And then another servant girl says the same, and others join in. Surely you are also one of them, because even your accent gives you away. And what does Peter do? He denies it with an oath. I do not know the man. So what is Peter so afraid of? Right, and we can compare the two. We can contrast Jesus boldly confessing before powerful, violent men and Peter melting under the pressure of a servant girl. But let's be a little fair to Peter. Matthew tells us that the guards are also in the courtyard and, and the more commotion that happens and the more people that question him, Peter might just be afraid that he will be arrested the same way Jesus was. So there's some fear there, but Peter's denial outside the courtroom is false testimony just as wicked as the lies of the witnesses inside. So what are you afraid of? You know what it feels like to be surrounded by hostile voices, to feel cornered by a question about your connection to your Savior. Maybe you feel that way when you're with friends and you know they're doing something and, and you don't want to and they want to know why you're not doing what they're doing and what everybody else does and, and you're just trying to come up with some excuse, something that will satisfy them. You feel it when you're with one group of people and they're talking about somebody else not you, and they aren't saying very kind things, and rather than 
standing up for that person and defending them, you see how you can quickly just kind of slide away from the group. Or maybe it's when someone you know asks you why you believe what you do. And all you can do is think, how fast can I change the subject? So what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of being called a Christian? Are you afraid of being called a confessional Lutheran? Maybe it's just getting laughed at or mocked and ridiculed. Certainly, we don't have to be afraid of being arrested, like Peter was maybe afraid, at least not yet in our country. Oh, we melt under far less pressure than questions from a servant girl. But let's be fair with ourselves. The pressure is still real. The fear of losing a friendship, of being singled out, of of being looked down on, surrounded by opposing voices, those are real fears of real loss. But what's a greater loss? A friend? To be cut off from family? A co-worker, an acquaintance? Or Jesus? Yes, being associated with Jesus can bring pain. But to not be associated with Jesus... Well, that's far worse. Right? What is scarier to you? Suffering with Jesus now or suffering apart from Him for an eternity? In the moments of pressure, when the voices are surrounding us, we might be tempted to think that that momentary relief of not being counted with Jesus is worth it. But that's not going to be the case when Jesus returns. Peter's testimony and Jesus' testimony. And after Peter denies Jesus, Jesus looks at him. And don't you wish you saw what was on Jesus' face, right? Matthew doesn't record it. Luke does, when the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. What is on his face? Disappointment? Sadness? Maybe just blood and spit? Love that Peter knows he doesn't deserve? Whatever is there... Look at Peter's reaction. He runs away and weeps. And you know that face, right? You've seen it on your professors, on your teachers, on your parents, on a spouse. The times when you've buckled under pressure, 
to do something that you know you shouldn't do, and maybe you were even warned about. And you can imagine it on your Savior, the many times that you've tried your hardest to distance yourself from Him, because in the moment, it just isn't convenient to be considered one of His disciples. But like Peter, we have every reason to weep. But don't run away from his look. No, Jesus wants you to stay and look because whatever is on that face, he's calling you back to him. Even when you fail to claim Jesus, Jesus always wants to claim you. And so he shows you his bruises and the blood, not to shame you. No, just the opposite, to show you the depth and extent of his love. The abuse he endures, he endures for you. This is the Son of God who answers to no one, and yet stands trial and suffers for you. So stay and look at His face as we journey to the cross. Stay and look at His face and then listen, right? Jesus gives His testimony about Himself. He says He is the Messiah. He is God's anointed, the one chosen to take your place. And He's connected Himself to you through the waters of baptism which means that what he does before the high priest, oh, that counts for you. For all the times that you've kept silent, that you've tried to sneak away, he stands and confesses as though he were you. He does it perfectly in your place. And then keep listening. Just hours away from his greatest humiliation, Jesus quotes Daniel's prophecy about the Messiah's glory. The demonstration of that glory was now 500 years closer than first prophesied and is now 2,000 years closer. Jesus' words are true. The one who is beaten and bloodied now sits at the right hand of the Lord God Almighty. The one who stands trial before sinners will come on the clouds with all of his angels as judge, condemning those who stand against him and rescuing the faithful who by his power and grace stand with him. So I'll ask you again, what are you afraid of? Should we be afraid to tell people the King of kings and the Lord of lords, I'm with Him? Should we ever be embarrassed to love the One who loved us enough to give His life for us to make us His very own? And do we have anything to fear? You're with the one who rules all things with all power and authority and promises to come back with justice to make all things right for you. 
And it's easy to say that with confidence when you're in a building like this. Maybe part of the challenge is that we're caught off guard. Right? We go about our day-to-day lives and all of a sudden you're thrust into the witness stand. But that shouldn't surprise you. Jesus warned Peter, and he also warns us. You are going to face tough questions. You will be put on trial in the court of the world, in the public opinion. You are going to be singled out for your connection to your Savior. But that's a good thing. It's actually a gift and a blessing and a privilege that you're connected to Him. And then see that as an opportunity. Right? Peter learned that lesson. Peter, the Lord's look calls him to repentance. After Jesus rises from the dead, he appears to Peter, restores Peter, and then says, feed my sheep. Years later, Peter writes a letter to some of those sheep. They're Christians who stood out from the society around them. Citizens who honored their government Slaves who obeyed their masters. Wives who submitted to their husbands. Husbands who loved their wives as Christ loved the church. Believers who were willing to suffer for doing good. And when we do that, when believers do that, people would ask them, what makes you different? And that's when Peter gives them that encouragement. Always. Not just in a building like this. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. Yes, always be ready to give your testimony. And so I pray that your Christian accent gives you away. I pray that people look at you and me and they say, boy, they act and speak differently. And wouldn't it be great to have people accuse you of being connected to Christ? And sometimes that's going to mean hardships. But is there anything better than being associated with Him? And just maybe, maybe if they'll ask you about it, you can point them to that loving face. Tell them about this man from Galilee, the Son of Man and the Son of God, the Messiah who came to live, to die, and to rise for you, the one who rules all things for you, and who will come again to take you to be with him. Yes, let that be your testimony in your life, in the way that you live, and from your mouths when you're put on trial. Amen.